Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matisek, Digital Editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Father Paul Scalia, son of the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, serves as the Vicar for Clergy in the Diocese of Arlington, Virginia. He is the author of a new book, Sermons in Times of Crisis, 12 Homilies to Stir Your Soul. We recently spoke with him via phone about some of these inspiring homilies, the state of preaching today, and much more. Here's Father Scalia. Father Scalia, thanks for being here on Catholic Baltimore. It's good to be with you. Thank you. Your new book is a collection of 12 homilies delivered at various times of crisis in the church over the last 2,000 years. How did you come up with the idea for the book? Well, the initial idea was uh, just uh, sermons that changed the world, you know, mm-hmm. great, great sermons. But, uh, of course, that's such a huge category that we needed to refine it a little bit. And what I was really interested in doing was focusing on how the great preachers in the church's history applied the word of God and applied the teachings of the church to a particular uh, moment in history, to a particular situation or time and place. And so that, uh, and so we look, look for homilies uh, along those lines, and that became, you know, sermons in times of crisis. So not just great sermons, because then you could just, I mean, Saint Augustine would dominate; he, he was so great. But um, but but sermons that are addressing a particular moment or crisis in uh, in in history, and because I think that really reveals how the Word of God is applied to the particular moment, and and how it sort of you know, takes flesh and can make a change here and now. So that was the goal, and that gave us sermons in times of crisis. And how did you narrow it down to these particular 12? Were these uh, sermons that you had been familiar with, or were they new to you? No, no, they, uh, well, some of them were. Uh, some of them were new. Um, the, the Leo the Great one is actually fairly well known. And uh, the Augustine one is interesting. I wasn't familiar with it, and uh, and the the Saint Ambrose one is is familiar. I think that's a fairly well known one. But it's you know the account of when he and uh, and his disciples, the Orthodox Christians at the time, go and um, they occupy the the basilica, one of the basilicas in Milan, to keep the Arians from seizing it from them. And so it's kind of a dramatic, you know, showdown. Uh, and that scene is, is familiar to to many, you know, studied church history. And this is the sermon that he preached uh, at the end of that of that whole crisis. The Newman sermon also is is a famous one, and and I think familiar to many people. Uh, that's the, the second spring uh, one. But a, a lot of the others, no, I had to kind of you know go find and you know I asked around some people, some you know church historians or priest friends. Where experts are just had knowledge of these these various things. We also wanted to cover the gamut of the church's history, and so we've got a number from the church fathers, and then from the Counter Reformation, and then from uh, the modern era. I think that if there's any common thread in the homilies that you selected, it would be that they, each of these homilies required a great deal of courage to be preached. You mentioned the one with Saint Ambrose, where he's preaching while occupying the basilica, and then you also 
have homilies from St. Charles Borromeo, who had been ministering to plague victims, and then he's preaching a homily to his brother priest, urging them to do the same. Or you, you have uh, Blessed Cardinal Clemens Van Gallen, who during World War II is preaching against Nazi atrocities, and that certainly demanded courage. Uh, can you talk about the role of courage in delivering a homily, especially in a time of crisis? Yeah, you know, it's a great question because it's you know, the different kinds of courage, and some of them is to face down those who are threatening the church, uh, for example, the Nazis, right? Or the, um, or, or the imperial system uh, in the case of Ambrose. And in, in other situations, it's the courage to give a challenge to the, to the faithful. And so St. John Chrysostom, you know, that it, it's, a, it's a brilliant homily uh, on the occasion of, you know, this, this man who had, had been, you know, in the imperial court and had fallen out of favor and wound up seeking refuge in the church. And people who were in the church probably wanted to punish him. And John Chrysostom has the courage to challenge them to mercy. And so that's a different kind of courage. And I think also St. Augustine's uh, sermon, there, there's a courage to keep the, 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 the faithful from the pagan practices that they were tempted to give into. And, and again, that's, that's the courage to, to tell people what they need to hear, not necessarily what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. I think the same is true for John Henry Newman, soon to be St. John Henry Newman that you know, it's a great heady time for the, the church in England when the hierarchy was being reestablished there. Uh, and, but instead of just you know, it being celebratory for him and instead of it just being you know, everything is rosy, he also gives some warnings. And that was, that was very much in, uh, according to his temperament. But it was also what they needed to hear. I mean, his sermon in that, on that occasion is not without its hopefulness and, and joy for the occasion. But there's also a certain severity there, saying that there's going to be a challenge. So, I, you know, there, there's the courage to, to face off the adversaries of the church, but then there's also the courage to preach to the faithful what they need but not, might not want to hear. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, the preacher has to have, have both of those. So, that, you know, it's a good thing to reflect on, and I think the, the various sermons that are in there capture the different angles, the different kinds of courage. I think uh, probably one of the most famous homilies he published is the great sermon by St. John Paul II when he went to Poland for the first time after his election. And that's when he encouraged sure. people to really embrace their Catholic faith at a time when they were being persecuted by the communists. And I I know that during that homily, the people started chanting, we want God, we want God. What what made that particular homily so powerful? Well, you know, well, first of all, you know, you asked how, how were these chosen? Um, I knew that there, I mean, there had to be one from John Paul II, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could not have one from from JP II, and um, especially somebody of my vintage in the priesthood. Um, and, and so the question was, which one? And it could have been his inaugural homily as Pope, the famous Be Not Afraid message. But the one in Poland, you know, when I was reading through them, the one that that one in in Warsaw is just so extraordinary. Not only because he's um, he, he's really fathering the people of Poland. He's he's bestowing on them an identity and letting them know who they are as children of God, and upending the uh, the Soviet lie about who they were. And then, of course, he's you know, he's sort of facing down the Soviets at the same time. But then in light of, you know, what we know happened after that, I mean, the, the, the sermon concludes with him invoking the Holy Spirit because it's the vigil for Pentecost. 
he's invoking the Holy Spirit and he's calling down the Holy Spirit upon Poland and he's he, he's calling down the Holy Spirit to renew the nation. And then, of course, we know what happens over the next decade and uh, that everything that he prayed for in that moment came to be. I, I think that is, is perhaps one of his finest moments and uh, and, and greatest sermons. And, and it taps into so many different lines of thought in JP2's teaching, especially you know the importance of culture and in um, in living out the faith and and how the how the faith can shape a culture that forms a people. And in, in that case, I, I think it wasn't only just the words that he spoke, but also the way he spoke it. He did it with such conviction and, and spirit, especially when he was invoking the Holy Spirit, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one that we, you know, I mean, you can go on, you can go online and watch it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one that uh, you know, un- unlike Newman's or uh, Chrysostom's, we we can't, um, we don't know what it sounded like, but but we can watch JP two. We're familiar enough with him that we could, we, we know the passion with which it was given. And 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 the uh, and and really the the love with which it was given. In the introduction to your book, you say that every speaker must be in union with the truth he conveys, and that the greater the union, the more convincing the words. I think that's a really important point. That it that if you don't believe what you're preaching, that that that's going to come across in the homily. How important is that connection to uh, any sense of authenticity? Well, I think everybody has sensed that, right? I mean, you know that it, you, you know when somebody's just delivering a message that's that's not really his. Uh, and and, and some, you know, sometimes it can be nerves. It can be you know the, the the speaker is is nervous about about being in front of people, and so he's kind of constrained in how he delivers it. But um, you know, whatever the case, we have to um, the, the the priest always has to trying to be to unite himself to interiorize the doctrine of the church more and more and more so that so that when he speaks about it it's something from within him it is something that is part of who he is uh because he, he he's really meant to be that instrument uh for, for proclaiming the word and the more he's interiorized the truth and the doctrine and the, the, the more perfect an instrument he can become uh saint francis de sales says somewhere that uh, for the priest, studying is the eighth sacrament. And I think that's shown probably most of all in preaching, is that it is by studying, by uh, by knowing his theology, knowing his doctrine, and interiorizing in such a way that it, it, it kind of bubbles forth at, uh, from within him and uh, is that much more beneficial to the people because he's convinced of it. Your book is about homilies at a time of crisis, and it's no secret that the church is in a major crisis right now. Uh, some might, might say that the sexual abuse crisis is the worst crisis that the church has faced uh, in 2,000 years. With that as a backdrop, what advice would you have for priests or deacons as they preach in today's environment, or should they even address the crisis? Should they should they have the courage to address the, the crisis in their homilies? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it can't not be addressed. Uh, the, the people want to know that that the priests uh, are uh, are struggling with this as they are. You know, I heard about a priest who got up, uh, a priest in Washington D.C., which has been hit particularly hard uh, in the past year, and he got up uh, to preach on it, and he couldn't. He just cried. Hmm. And this person who was there said, "Well, that was that was actually one of the most eloquent homilies ever." And it was simply that the people, his, you know, the priests. Uh, tears conveyed to the people that he, you know, his union with them and uh, his suffering with them. Now, of course, we have to do more than weep. <laughs> um, 
I, I think it is a time to clarify what is at the essence of the priesthood and, and of the church. And, you know, the abuse crisis is, is a crisis not only because of the wickedness of, uh, of what was done, uh, of the immoral actions, but also because the crisis creates an atmosphere in which an, a lot of other uh, falsehoods can be proclaimed and a lot of false solutions can be put forward. For example, the assault on celibacy. Or there, there was a piece I read recently, which it, it was just, you know, basically get rid of the hierarchy. Well, the, these are not solutions. So the, the, the priest has to be courageous to um, also to preach against the false, the false solutions and proclaim what is true about the church, what is true about the priesthood, even as he, you know, suffers with his people in this, this dreadful uh, revelation of what's been done and what's been allowed to happen. Uh, our guest today is Father Paul Scalia, a priest of the Diocese of Arlington, and he is the author of a new book called Sermons in Times of a Crisis, 12 Homilies to Stir Your Soul. I'm George Matisek, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Pope Francis advanced the sainthood cause of Father Augustus Tolton, who was the first African-American diocesan priest in the United States and founder of the first black Catholic parish in Chicago. Father Tolton had been born into slavery in 1854 on a plantation near Brush Creek, Missouri. His mother took her three children and rode them across the Mississippi River to the free state of Illinois. There, he was encouraged to discern a vocation from the Franciscan priest who taught him at St. Francis College, now Quincy University. However, he was denied access to seminaries in the U.S., so he pursued his education in Rome. He was ordained overseas in 1886 and returned to the United States for ministry. You may not know that Josephite Father Charles Uncles became the first African-American priest ordained on U.S. soil at the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Baltimore in 1891. For more on this and other stories, visit catholicreview.org. From the Catholic Review Newsroom, I'm Kevin Parks. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to The Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow The Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 
125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Welcome back to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matisek. Our guest today is Father Paul Scalia, Vicar for Clergy for the Diocese of Arlington, and the author of a new book, Sermons in Times of Crisis, 12 Homilies to Stir Your Soul. Father, there's been a lot of hand-wringing about the state of homiletics over the last 40 years or so, but I think it's probably the case that since the earliest days of the Church, we've had good homilies and bad homilies. Is that true, or do you really think we've seen a decline in the quality of preaching in more modern times? Yeah, that's you know I I hear that a lot. People will you know they'll talk to me about this book and they'll say, "Gosh, why can't you know why can't we hear homilies like that today?" And I don't know that we that people ever really did a whole lot. I mean, the re- the reason those sermons in in the book are there and are known is because they were exceptional. And so yeah, there's been a lot of lamenting the uh, the, the state of of sermons um, in, yeah in the past forty fifty years. I don't know that it's ever been that much better. <laughs> you know, as you said, there's always been good homilists. There's always been bad ones. And um, one thing that is different, I think, recently is that we've gotten away from doctrinal homilies. We've gotten away from homilies that, that really teach doctrine. And, and that's a loss. We should reflect on Scripture in such a way that it brings out the teachings of the church. I think that's, I think that's the homilist. Um, that's his duty. And I, I think one of the things that is new in the past 40 or 50 years is the self-revelatory homily uh, that a priest might give or, um, you know, just telling stories or not really conveying what the church teaches. Uh, I think that is a, a new problem in, in the past uh, several decades and, and one that, that, that uh, really needs to be addressed. I mean, a priest, whenever he gets up, he, he should really be teaching or reinforcing a, a teaching of, of the church. You know, I just read recently in First Things an, an account, a, a woman's account of, of kind of her, her, her faith experience and her conversion. She said uh, at one point, in every sermon I had ever heard, the minister had inserted himself between his listeners and God. Hmm. And I thought, I, I ran across that. So that. That's fascinating because I think that's what happens a lot, is that the priest feels like he needs to insert himself, and he, he, he doesn't and he shouldn't. The priest in the pulpit is an instrument, and, um, and each instrument works differently, and each instrument has its own little sort of use. And so you have a variety of preachers and styles and, and everything. But the instrument, but, but every instrument really should give itself to the use of, of, of the one using it, right? And, and not insert itself between, um, in this case, God and the listeners. I think that that is something that has happened a lot um, in the past several decades, is that priests have felt the need 
to talk about their own experiences or, you know, try to make things relevant and in uh, by which they really mean kind of trendy. I think that is probably a new problem. We talked a little bit about what makes a good homily. On the flip side, how can someone be a better listener to a homily? You know, you should pray for uh, pray for the homilist. Pray to receive what the Lord wants you to receive, not what you want to hear, right? Uh, but but what He wants you to hear, what what God wants you to hear, and just just pray that the that the one preaching is a good instrument, and and that that His words are anointed to be what you need. Uh, and if you need consolation, you know, okay, Lord, if I need consolation, give me consolation. If I need to be challenged, challenge me. But but just allow uh, allow His words to be anointed so that your your word can come to me through Him. Many people in our audience will probably know that your father was the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, and you gave the homily at his funeral. And I I think you surprised a lot of people by you didn't speak too much about his specific accomplishments as you spoke on the theme of Christ yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Why did you decide to preach in that manner? Well, first of all, because uh, that's the instruction of the church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that uh, in, in the funeral rite, the instruction is, you know, it, it, the topic is Jesus Christ. And it, it's not to be a eulogy. And second of all, the reason for that instruction is that a funeral is a time to pray for the deceased. And, uh, and if we just praise praise the deceased instead of praying for him, th- then we do him a disservice. And um, the, the funeral is a time to reflect on God and, and to praise God and to pray for the deceased, not to praise the deceased and forget God, right. uh, which is what happens in a lot of cases. And honestly, I mean, why else are we going to be at a funeral except that, except that the deceased had imperfections and needs to be prayed for? And that God is glorified in calling down his mercy upon upon the one who's died. And God is glorified when we reflect on what he's done for the person who's died. That that's that's why we're there. Uh and if in if that's not the case, then it's it's, it's much ado about nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so well, yeah, and, and you know, honestly at my funeral I hope you know, I hope the person, you know, <laughs> doesn't talk about any of my accomplishments, right? <laughs> because, you know, listen, my father my father accomplished a great deal, but none of them will get to get him into heaven. None of them. He wrote some great opinions. Not one of them and not all of them together will get him into heaven. What gets him into heaven is the mercy of Jesus Christ. For you personally, what are some of the homilies or the kinds of homilies that have most touched your life or, or, or shaped your vocation? Um, I guess three elements. One is rooted in scripture. Tell me what I, about what I heard. right? Uh, and the second would be make it reasonable or logical. Make it, in other words, it's intellectually engaging so that I am thinking about something. And then the third thing is making it applicable. It, it, it needs to take root. It can't be just an interesting thing. In fact, I tell people that's the worst thing I think that people can say to a priest after uh, Sunday Mass. Thank you, Father. That was very interesting. <laughs> you know, well, interesting. I mean, there are a lot of things that are interesting. You know, astrophysics is in- interesting, but it, it doesn't it doesn't help your eternal salvation. So it can't be just interesting. It has to be, it has to cut into people. I mean, that's what it says about St. Peter's sermon in Acts of the Apostles on the Feast of Pentecost. They were cut to the heart. <laughs> uh, and that that's what has to happen. And so I think those three elements, you know, scriptural, intellectual, and applicable. 
I, I think those those are the things in the homilies that I've heard. And I think somebody like you know uh, Bishop Barron, I think he does he he does that. Fulton Sheen was brilliant at that. I mean Fulton Sheen just the way he made things so reasonable and people saying yes that makes sense. And now I need to sort of I, I need to change my life to be in accord with what is true. Those are the elements that make a make a good sermon. And we just have a couple of seconds left. Uh, how can people get your book? Well, it's it's on Amazon and um, so and Tan as well. So yeah, sermons in times of crisis. Uh, I think I mean they're challenging. It's a challenging read. I think that the the sermons are not exactly what we're used to in our culture, but I think it's they're they're just they're they're deep and they're they're wonderful reading and uh, a real nourishment to the faith. And as it, as it says on the cover, they will stir the soul. Uh, it's a great read, Father Paul Scalia. Thanks so much for being here on Catholic Baltimore. Thank you so much. Good to be with you. As we leave, I'd just like to let our audience know that on the Archdiocesan website, archbalt.org, we showcase a featured homily every week from one of the priests or deacons from our archdiocese. Again, you can find that on archbalt.org, and that is updated every Monday, so you can check that out at archbalt.org. For Catholic Baltimore, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator, who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.